0: You're listening to the Rural Advancement Podcast. Rural Advancement provides resources to empower, equip, and encourage rural pastors and churches. Join our community by visiting us at ruraladvancement.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Rural Advancement. This is the podcast that is by rural leaders and for rural leaders. Every week, it is our hope, Our prayer that we would be speaking things that not only apply to your rural context, but are spoken right from the heart of people who get it. People who can connect with rural because they've been there, they minister there, they grew up there. Something that ties them to God's work in small places. And so today, uh, if you're tuning in and you are a volunteer or a lay leader or a pastor, we are just so glad you've joined us. Because again, this week, like every other week, we are hoping to say something that can help you today do God's work in small places. I'm your host, Joe Epley. So this week, we are taking a break from our series on bivocational voices. We will be back with some more bivocational voices because man, they just have such good things to say. If you haven't checked out that series, check out the last three episodes. And we are hearing from pastors who have to work a second job and yet still do uh, full-time ministry in a sense. And, and the reasons these pastors pick you know other professions or secondary ministries or other things are varied and they're different and the reasons are different. And I've been blessed by all of them. So go back and check those out and after these next two episodes um, we are also going to be kind of highlighting three more rural pastors who are doing you know god's work in a bivocational manner and so we're pretty stoked for that and again the, the interviews that are coming up are gonna blow your mind they are full of nuggets of wisdom that I think I'm still chewing on you know I I, I joke a lot about this but I'm the one recording this podcast And I'm also the one who gets a ton out of it. And so I'm just pumped to have those guys on. And so it'll be great. And we're looking forward to it. But today, this is the first in a two-part series on a rural resource, right? Um, When I started hosting this podcast, I was very clear that from time to time, we will be offering up rural resources that are not just this podcast and not just interviews with people, but are maybe books or different podcasts or places to find help when it comes to perspectives on the rural church and perspectives on ministry. And so a couple months ago, I was referred to a resource called The Forgotten Church by Glenn Damon. And Glenn Damon is a prolific author. I'm actually kind of stoked because we get to interview him next week. This book, The Forgotten Church, right? Why Rural Ministry Matters for Every Church in America. So the title for me was an attention grabber, super excited about the content. And as I worked my way through the pages, I was pretty excited about what I found about the principles that were outlined. I don't know about you, but again, there's not enough people talking about rural in a way that that uh, you know really makes a difference and really feels like they get it. And so when I open up the pages of a book, and I hear a perspective that understands my struggles, understands where I've been as a minister, it is just so refreshing. And next week, we're going to hear from him in terms of his thoughts on the book and some of the principles that I really want to see him kind of flesh out a little more. Uh, But for this week, As we did with our last book on here, I'm just going to take some time uh, with you um, and kind of maybe outline my thoughts on the book, stuff that stood out to me. That's what I love about books is everybody kind of gets something different out of it. And you're going to get to hear a little bit on this uh, podcast this week about my life and about where I'm at in ministry and why these things speak to me so much. And so um, we're going to dive right in. I've got about 10 pages earmarked in front of me. And so you might hear me flip through some pages because, again, these are just quotes and thoughts that really stood out to me. And so to kick it off in the first man chapter of the book, I came across this quote. It says, we assume that success, meaning success in ministry, can be determined by what occurs within the roles. Consequently, churches growing the fastest and having the most in attendance receive recognition in church and denominational conferences. Yet we must ask, is this the biblical definition of success? When we turn to the pages of the New Testament, we find a different perspective where success is measured by faithfulness and obedience. And we can be faithful and obedient only when we truly see the real need and then act to meet that need. I know that it has been said many times on this podcast, but it's worth repeating, and it was worth repeating in my own life. Success is not always measured by numerical growth. And I understand fully that there are people who will turn to me and say, well, every number represents a person and every person matters to God. And I agree. I agree. But the thing that I think is hard with that model is that that works in contexts where there are a ton of people. Because even in a a small rural setting, uh, even a healthy church might only find one or two converts a year, you know, just because of the town size, how churched the town is, uh, the demographics of the town. Maybe there's other churches in town and it can just be a slower process. And so getting to walk into a room and say, hey, my success comes from the fact that I am stationed where I'm meant to be stationed, doing what God's asked me to do is hugely comforting as a rural minister, right? I have to reflect on the fact that in my entire ten year in youth ministry, uh, my youth group never got bigger than 30 students. And that's over eight years. Now, granted, a percentage of the population, I think we're doing pretty good. And we, we got to see a lot of kids come through our program. But at the same time, it wasn't necessarily the largest numerical number in the world. You know, nobody's calling me saying, what are you doing that's so different to get 30 kids in the room? That's not what we call people for. We call them when we hear, oh, man, you've got a youth group of 1,000, of 500, of 200 even. And yet, am I any less successful in God's eyes for pastoring the 30 versus pastoring the 200? And so um, that was just encouraging to me. I always love when we get to see success in a way that makes sense in the rural church. Uh, This next one is super fun because it kind of talks about church structure, right? Because again, we acknowledge that mega churches have a model, larger churches have a model, even urban churches have a model that works for them. But one of the things that I think that I underestimate most often is that the rural church is also not like lacking strategy, right? Like sometimes I think we we wonder like, oh yeah, I'm just here in this community and we just do stuff. And it's like, no, 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 no. There are real proven principles for how to make rural ministry work. So this uh, author, Glenn Damon, was talking about the struggles that some pastors have when they move to rural churches, because uh, he says they often seek to implement urban principles of church leadership and practices within the rural church. In the end, the pastor is discouraged, the congregation is frustrated, and the ministry struggles. I think it's so important to realize that we don't have to like be angry at the large church for acting the way a large church should. And we don't have to be angry at the rural church for acting the way a rural church should, because they both have principles that guide them that are absolutely valid. Um, in a lot of large churches, the lead pastor uh, does not always have time to do all of the hospital visits, right? Like if you have a congregation of a thousand people and you're the only one doing hospital visits, man, oh man, that can kind of like that would, first of all, I think you would just burn out, but like, that's not realistic, right? Well, in a small church setting, people might be offended if you send somebody else to do you know, the hospital visits in town. And I know there have been times where uh, as a staff at our church, you know, we've just tried to be present in whatever ways we can, because that's what is what's expected of you. Uh, even just the other night, I offered up prayer before dinner at a veterans like day dinner. Right. And it was not exactly like, quote unquote, a glamorous ministry task in the sense that like it didn't win 100 converts and I didn't get, you know, it, it was not this incredible moment. But it was just the ministry of being present. And sure, I could have turned it down, but suddenly people begin to talk. And well, why isn't that pastor supporting the community? You know, here we have a role for him and we're trying to have him be present in our lives and he's not taking that. And it could just hit so much different than in other settings. And so I really love that we kind of acknowledge that, man, there are systems here that work in small places and systems that work in big places. And it's okay that they're different. It helps me kind of just pause and breathe. So I thought that was such a cool tidbit. As I'm flipping through the book here, I'm just kind of looking at these things I wrote, wrote down. I loved this statement on change, right? Because how many have ever heard the stereotype, rural churches don't believe in change, right? They are stuck in the mud. They're backwards. They have people who have been that way for 100 years and don't want to grow, right? And we won't tell them the secret that that's kind of true. I'm just kidding, actually, but but it can feel that way, right? It can feel like uh, sometimes change is slower than maybe a pastor anticipates or whatever. But he says it this way. Glenn Damon says this. He says, what they fail to recognize is that rural churches are often willing to change But they're not willing to adopt changes that conflict with the values they believe to be biblically driven. And so one of the things that I think we have to recognize that the rural church adds in terms of value to the kingdom of God is the fact that they are kind of these keepers of tradition. What the rural church does is it forces pastors to have a good reason to change. And I am all for that. Because we've all been caught up in the idea of I just want to do something new for news sake and I, I want to do something different because what I'm doing has become boring to me. And, and maybe that's not your struggle, but it certainly has been mine at times. And the model of it ain't broke, don't fix it, you know, don't, it doesn't mean that we settle for mediocrity and just go into things as they always were. But it does mean that if we're going to lead the church into change in a rural setting, we have to do our homework and I really was challenged as a pastor to say, man, sometimes I get frustrated at these board members, but they'll look at me and say things like, well, the thing is, I've been taught this this way for 80 years, and I'm not opposed to changing. I literally had a board member say this to me once we were having a discussion in a board meeting, and he said, I'm not afraid to change, but I need to know that there's a good reason for it. And I think that just rings so true in the rural context of, hey, if you're going to come to a rural church, it's not pushback meant to defeat you. But it is pushback meant to say, hey, give us the reason, right? Help us understand why it is that this change is so important. And so I think that just helped me immensely. One, it kind of sanctifies change, right? Because again, change is important. And and I do believe that the spirit of God does new works in churches and tries to push us into new things. But sometimes we change just for its own sake, or we change at a rate that's not realistic for the community we're serving. And the thing about a rural church is that people have to come along for the ride, right? You don't have a deep enough bench just to say, well, if I tick off half the congregation and they leave, that's fine with me. Again, not to say that it's a good strategy in either context, but in a large town, at least there's more people to pull from if I tell half my church we're going in a different direction. But in a rural setting... I might have to take that extra coffee or that extra meal or that extra month or that extra year to try and bring saints on board um, with where the church is going. Because at the end of the day, it could be really worth it, right? We might get to not only see the kingdom of God move forward, but everyone might still get to be on the bus, which is just a huge win. Um, Flipping forward through my book, because again, uh, Glenn Damon is just awesome in what he says. So, I remember as a teenager in youth camp, right, I would hear these sermons and a lot of them would say things like, man, you're going to, we're going to pray tonight. God's going to call you to be a missionary to your world. And then we would hear things like go out and change the world. And as a preacher, I would hear things around, let's say, young adult age in terms of Bible college age or whatever. I would hear people pray into my life and say, you know, we believe that you're going to preach to hundreds or preach to thousands or whatever. And this is a common thing. That we do, in, uh, especially in Pentecostal circles, is, is we, we really believe firmly that God is going to use the next generation to do extraordinary things. And I'm not at all against that. Let's give people purpose and vision. Let's shoot for the stars, but not at the expense of maybe what we would call the rural experience, right? Because Glenn Damon puts it this way. He says, the story of rural America centers upon the story of ordinary people who live ordinary lives and achieve ordinary accomplishments. Man, ordinary people living ordinary lives and achieving ordinary accomplishments. That's huge. Again, I just felt freedom that I didn't really know I needed. Because, because even if ambition is not a virtue that we uphold as a virtue, it's still something that exists in our mind because there's pressure. There's pressure to say, why don't you go out and save the world? Why don't you, young pastor, new pastor, youth pastor, Bible college graduate, why don't you go out and preach to the masses and lead the crusades and reach the millions? And I get all that. But the story of rural America is you going to a small town and doing a Veterans Day dinner. I mean, this is the third year in a row that I've been asked to do this prayer at the Veterans Day dinner. And it hasn't hasn't led to like quote unquote fruit. Like no one new's come to my church because of it. No one new has, has, you know, jumped in. I haven't even really got to pray for anybody individually from it. But what I have gotten to do is I have gotten to be present and pastor my community, right? To be present in the lives of ordinary people. And I had a lady walk up to me After this, and said, This night means so much to our veterans. Thank you so much for being a part of it. She even offered to pay me. And I said, Hey, I just said a blessing before dinner. Like, I'm I'm good. Thank you so much. But it's it's that stuff, right? Like you're doing the work of the ministry, and yet you're doing it in a way that is just so ordinary. And it's not gonna get you accolades, it's not, you know, it's not gonna get us noticed, and no one's gonna throw a news camera and be like, this guy prayed before dinner. Look at him. But It is a way to pastor and be present in an ordinary way. And I just, I don't want us to devalue this big picture changing the world, but I do want us to value just doing ordinary living, ordinary Christian ministry among people, right? It's just a powerful thing. Continuing on in this lovely book, because again, I'm telling you, I'm only highlighting like ten pages out of this, and good news for you, there's at least two hundred, and so the other hundred ninety pages are all for you listener to jump into and find your own revelations on what it means to pastor rurally. Um, I don't know if rurally is a word, but I it's gonna be now. So, anyways, I really loved this one. He's talking about you know what again, what defines effective ministry in a rural place, because I think that as pastors sometimes we get in the habit. Of being a little too attached to people as we wish they were. So for example, you may look at your church and say, well, if we can just if I can just lay out my clear vision and put our statement on the wall and pray for this next year and lead vision Sunday correctly and start all these new initiatives, well, by golly, these people will become the people I want I want them to be, right? It's It's fulfilling our vision. Well, to be honest, Part of rural ministry is looking around after that probably fails a little bit at least and saying, okay, God, if I can't turn them into the preconceived version of who I want them to be, how do I draw out who they're called to be? And Glenn Damon says it this way, he said, effective ministry in rural areas is built upon trust and trust comes when we accept and value people within the context of their culture rather than seek to impose our own cultural views on them. There's a kids' movie that I absolutely adore. I do have two little girls, and I would like to say that I blame me loving this kids' movie on my children, but it existed much before I had kids. Um, It's Kung Fu Panda 3, okay? And if you haven't seen the animated Kung Fu Panda series, check it out. I would argue that it's the best trilogy since the original Star Wars in the 70s. You can fight me on that. I don't really care. But the reason I love this movie is because uh, the main character, Poe the panda, is trying to teach Kung Fu to other people. And he recognizes pretty quickly, he says, I can't teach them to be me, I have to teach them to be the best them they can be. And obviously it's a kid's movie, it's a pretty simple message, but being a preacher, of course, anything becomes an illustration. And I remember thinking how powerful of a truth that is when it comes to the kingdom of God. If I come into ministry and I preach a certain way and pastor a certain way and have a certain set of gifts, I am not called to turn my church into me. I am called to look at the farmer, the oil field worker, the Sunday school teacher, the music teacher, the the I don't know, the retired person, the the student, the the other pastors, the leaders, the the various jobs and ministries which we all take part in. And I am called to help each individual become the best version of of them that God has created them to be, to pull out their talents and gifts and to see them put to work in the Christian community and in the greater community. And so I just love this because, again, the goal is not to make something fit that doesn't fit. The goal is to say, okay, instead of grumbling about who I don't have or what skills I can't seem to develop in these people, I'm going to look at them for who they are and see where we can go, because the Holy Spirit is going to do great things through those people. Continuing on with our perusal of this book, I uh, I came across this story by Glenn Damon where he talked about uh, being fresh in his rural community and there was a horrible accident involving the loss of a little girl. And the parents were involved in the EMS and it was traumatic for everybody involved. And he says he remembers being called to arrive on the scene and give spiritual counsel. And the thing is, he ended up praying with the family, and praying with just everyone on the EMS and the emergency services, and just kind of pastoring the moment. And I'm almost tearing up reading about it because it's 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 heartbreaking those contexts that pastors are sometimes called to step into. But he says the phrase to pastor a rural church is to serve as a pastor for the whole community. There are people who have asked me to pray for them who will never come to my church, and it's not it's almost not even like like that's my goal. I mean, obviously my goal is that they'd be plugged into a church. Don't hear what I'm not saying, but but there are some elements of what we do in small towns where your goal is just to be present in the community. It's to be the person they can call, to be present at these tragedies, to be on hand, to serve um, the needs of the community, even if those needs, once they're met, don't result in growth, right? I like to think that it's a little bit Christ-like, because I always got angry at Jesus, right? Because he would say bold and audacious things. So he would heal somebody of blindness. and Or or let, let's take the madman of, of Gadara, right? So he heals this guy of a legion of demons. And the guy says, Jesus, I want to go with you. I mean, here's your next worship leader. Here's your next associate pastor. Here's your next leader. And Jesus says, just go home and tell people what what they did for you. Jesus healed, or what what I did for you, sorry. Jesus healed 10 lepers, and only one came back to thank him. And there's no evidence that any of those 10 lepers ever followed Jesus. But Jesus did good anyways. And I think it's such a testament that, yes, we will disciple the few. Yes, we will reach out to the many. But at some point, we're just pastoring our community. And that's powerful stuff. Continuing on, again, you might say, Joe, is there a structure to this? Yes, I'm just literally turning pages and finding the bookmarks. And so these are a variety of topics. Let's just call this a Proverbs podcast right now, because these are a bunch of one-liners that just stuck out to me that you now get to uh, enjoy as well. So I really enjoyed uh, this quote that he gave about like retooling our definition. Again, a lot of this has to do with success and failure. But he says this, the rural church only offers, only, that's a very powerful word, only offers obscurity and failure, in air quotes there, from the world's perspective. As Tucker, another author, points out, the only way to become a winner is by becoming a loser and uh, by embracing the theology of failure where we give up our dreams to allow God to accomplish his dreams for us. Now, as I'm reading that out loud, I'm realizing how sad that sounds, where I'm literally like, oh, you know what I really loved in this book when it told him to become a loser and give up on my dreams? Let me tell you what, the point is, is that like, I don't know about you, but when I started pastoring, no matter how much I didn't want to admit it, I had my own dreams, right? I I pictured how youth ministry was going to go, how God was going to use my life, and none of it involved a small town, none of it involved ministering specifically to LGBTQ youth, none of it involved serving as an associate pastor, I was going to be a youth pastor the day I died. None of it involved running a rural podcast or even caring about rural churches at the time because I didn't know they existed. But the goal is, is that we give up our own perception of what our life and ministry should look like and really let God do what he wants with it. Because, And we actually had this on our previous author interview, but that author had said at the time, he said, you know, once you've kind of let go of the fear of death, you can truly start living. And he t- talked to that, sp- or talked about that specifically with churches, because he said once a pastor and a church is not afraid of, you know, failure or afraid of fizzling out or afraid of not getting noticed or afraid of any number of words associated with our own ambition and our own plans, he says you can finally truly start to follow God's. And honestly, like what a powerful reminder that to give up on our dreams is to perfectly follow the dreams that God has given us. And the result is always going to be greater. Turning more pages, looking at more things. Um, He highlights for a second the kind of relational model of ministry, specifically talking about how churches don't really, rural churches don't really have the luxury of a ton of paid staff. They don't necessarily have the professionalization of the clergy. Like there might be a pastor, typically, um, and even that pastor might work two jobs, as we heard about last couple of weeks, and as we're going to hear about soon as well. But he says that, like, a lot of these people are going to double up, and they're going to be volunteer lady who are just filling the roles in the church. And he says it's hard to try and sit down and engage in relationship with these community members, right? You've got a, a farmer where he might ask you to come help him do something, and yet he also serves on your elder board. and And it's these relational transactions that um, help ministry move forward. And we have to kind of recognize as pastors that even though this model is frustrating because it's not task-driven, it builds community within the congregation. Like everybody gets a piece of the pie because that's all you've got to give it to. And it's powerful. And it, and it usually yields a church with great lay leadership. You know, we joke here in Montana, and if anyone from Montana is listening, this is not a diss so much as it is a challenge. But if you look at the numbers, uh, frequently, Eastern Montana churches, which are typically smaller towns, bring a ton of staff to serve at our events. Um, And that's not me saying anything mean about the bigger cities in the west half of Montana. But I am saying that like rural people show up, you know, there tends to be this strong lady involvement where they're not, they can't leave it up to professional pastors because there's just not that many of them. And so I was encouraged by that. I was encouraged to say, man, how am I fostering involvement in my church among just great lay people? The last thought that I have from this book as we kind of close out this podcast, and I guess this is kind of—I had a moment, right? Anyone ever have like a Jesus moment where you recognize just for half a second like how awesome God is, and you're, you're humbled, and you're challenged, and you, and you think of how weighty the call to ministry is? You know, I, I think of all the people who have been called pastor before me. And I get scared because I'm like, how am I ever going to live up to these men and women of faith? But he says this about the rural church, right? And it's a call to action from those who have answered the call and are serving in a rural church to those who we might mentor to raise up and serve the rural church. But he says this, the rural church needs men and women who are not enamored by numbers and prestige, but have a desire to take the gospel to all who have not heard it, whether they be in urban or rural communities. We need people who understand that the call to ministry is a call of self-denial, a call to the building of God's kingdom rather than the pursuit of our own success. And he goes on to talk about Bible colleges and mentorships and how we need to make sure that as rural ministers, we're not only championing the cause of rural, but also in our organizations. And anytime we get to have a voice, there needs to be an understanding that certain types of ministry are both necessary and also not glamorous. Uh, which I'm not gonna downplay these struggles and the things that are facing churches in larger places. Remember, this podcast is for rural, but it's not against urban. But I do want to say that when it comes to the rural church, it is important to remember that we have to be called to this very unique field, right? And we need to value that call, that call to self-denial. I have come to grips with the fact not that, I would argue, actually, that most pastors never really get famous. There's some that are more well-known as speakers and whatnot. But but if we're really honest, like, compared to, gosh, we could probably pull all the Twitter accounts or all the Facebook or all the Instagram accounts of our famous pastors and not even touch some secular celebrities. So we got to kind of take a humble pill. But even within the Christian community, I would argue that we're not really famous. But even then, if I get the end of my life, And the only people who remember i did anything are two or three hundred people in a small town that i lived in my whole life is that not enough can that not be faithfulness right and so i guess that's my encouragement my challenge on this very proverbs kind of podcast today is uh, let's take these one-liners that glenn damon has so gracefully written for us and let's try and live them out right let's be challenged let's be encouraged please, please, please join us next week. We're going to be interviewing Glenn Damon and asking about other things from his book. And honestly, if you want to get a hold of the book, there'll be a link to it in the show notes. It's uh, The Forgotten Church, Why Rural Ministry Matters for Every Church in America. I've been Joe Epley, and this is the Rural Advancement Podcast. We are so excited you tuned in, and we will see you next week.